0: It's the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It's episode 59 for Monday, July 10th. If our pre-conversation is any hint at what's going to be on this episode, it's going to be a doozy, so we are glad you're here. In the studio, Blaine Disrood, research analyst. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. How's it going? Good, thanks. Now, we've got a, an interesting week coming up. Consumer credits coming out Monday. There's no discernible trend there, but we're looking for a surprise given a potential inflection point for the consumer It'll also be interesting to watch in August, given the expectation of student loan repayments. Then the big data clip is coming out on Wednesday with CPI and hourly earnings. We'll touch on inflation expectations ad nausea through, throughout this conversation. But that'll be followed up Thursday by PPI and, and, and jobless claims.
1: Getting at that CPI, just real quick, the number there like is expected to be a potential sub-four. And that's caught some news, but the core number is going to be north of five is the expectation. So those are two things. You're starting to see a little bit of a divergence there in core CPI and CPI, given what's happened in energy and food recently. Getting into strengths, we have essentially employment came out last week. You had ADP blowout number. Everyone looked at it and said, that doesn't seem right. Friday's job data came back and kind of reined that number back in. At the end of the day, it was still a good number, but it wasn't the the strong number that everyone was expecting. It was below consensus, if you will. And with that, jobs still continue to be a very strong part of the labor market. Wage growth was there that kind of caught people off guard. And with that, a big discussion point over the last two years is like this quote unquote job hoarding. I mean, I've said it myself on, on the podcast, like we think there might be companies that are just hoarding jobs, but we saw the number of hours worked actually tick up. So people are coming into the office, they're working, companies are expecting them to come in and work more. It's not, hey, we don't have enough for you, stay home today or whatever. It's no, we need you in the office to to get what we need to get done done. So that all pushed and continued to push rates higher a bit, with the idea that the Fed may need to continue to hike rates, which we'll talk about. We don't necessarily think is the right thing, but that's essentially what we saw last week and some of the strengths.
0: It wasn't just the quantity of labor too, right? It was the price of labor. So wage rates were stable at 4.4%. The expectation was that they would have further decelerated. And that just supports the idea that there really is maybe a deficit of certain types of labor in the economy.
1: Yeah, because you look at that and you say, okay, People work longer, more people employed today, but productivity isn't all that great. Like there's this missing link of getting actual output from all the people that are employed right now. We're not seeing this robust growth come through. It's we've talked about rolling recessions it's kind of a quasi odd market right now with what we got going on from what companies are actually producing to who's all working and so forth so there's a bit of a disconnect
0: and then speaking about that rolling recession a year ago we were talking about the housing market decelerating and and certain other areas of the economy you know inventory was being destocked durable goods orders were starting to roll over now we're seeing certain parts of the economy namely housing reaccelerate
1: with that too you got a bit under oil last week like we've seen right around that mid 60 to upper 60 range seems to be a good floor for oil right now. You've had OPEC cut several times this year from a production standpoint, and they're actually following through with that. We've got a number of areas of the market that have found a floor or seem to be doing well. Employment, obviously, in the labor market is one of them. And then also housing seems to have Come back online and then some of the commodities seem to have finally found that bottom, if you will.
0: Not to get ahead of ourselves with weaknesses, but we always talk about how monetary policy is a prospective weakness given high rates and the impact that we might see on the banking system. But you look at the other side of the coin, you know, you have the, the monetary policy and fiscal policy, and Blaine and I were crunching some numbers before the podcast started. When you think about twenty twenty one when we saw Biden and and some of the stimulative policies, right, when he got in and in office, the federal deficit was massive. I think we were running almost $3 trillion. And as we got into 2022, we had a roll off because we weren't continuing those extraordinary transfer payments that we saw during the COVID period. And as a result, the deficit shrank and Biden is describing that as Bidenomics. You know, we're cutting the deficit. But now on a year over year basis, this is at least through the first quarter of 2023, the deficit's starting to expand again. Just part of that is tax receipts coming down, but fiscal expenditures are also inflecting higher. So we saw $700 billion on a year over year basis injected into the economy via fiscal stimulus. And part of that's gonna be higher social security payments because a lot of our non non-discretionary spending is inflation-adjusted, meaning if you have a 9% increase in inflation in 2022, your COLA, so your cost of living adjustment for for Social Security, is also going to go up by 9%. But the end-all be-all is a massive increase in the budget deficit, and yeah. that's money injected right into the consumer's pocket.
1: A form of stimulus, in essence. It a is. Sense. Getting into weaknesses, tighter monetary policy, with that strong labor market, you've continually are seeing this higher for longer, right? We've talked about that. We've mentioned it and we're getting more and more news about it again. Fed might hike, you know, one or two times right now. The expectation is one and a half hikes through the rest of this year. So people are teeter-tottering on one or two, right? Like essentially one is there, right? It's just a matter of does the economic data hold for what the Fed's looking at to cause them to go for a second time or even push that farther out into 2024? I mean, you can't, say it won't happen because we've essentially, the market's been wrong for the last nine months of what they've been pricing in for hikes. So that's a real threat. And most of that's coming from, you know, Jason, I'll kind of hand this off to you. Is coming from real rates, right? Like inflation expectations have been Honestly, anchored to a degree.
0: Very well anchored towards 2.2 to 2.3. You can say the Fed to a degree has accomplished their mission. They're telling the markets that they are going to be sufficiently restrictive. And the market is saying, well, over the next 10 years, we agree with them. We believe at 2.2 some odd percent on the inflation expectations. And with rates rising, you can think of real rates as almost the plug figure there they're at a cycle high, almost 1.8%. And we really haven't seen that since the beginning of the global financial crisis in 2008. That's the last time that you were able to earn a real rate of return of 1.8%. So you're being compensated for effectively saving your money in what's perceived to be a risk-off asset. But where does the weakness come in? That If that is true and policy is sufficiently restrictive, you would expect to see duration assets like growth stocks, gold even Bitcoin, significantly declining. And and there's resiliency there. We've been describing it as, you know, the Sherlock Holmes, the case of the dog that didn't bark. Why are these assets strong despite where real rates are, where, where you can earn that real rate of return?
1: And I think we'll get into that in our threats. What's coming off of the weaknesses, though, with that is you're starting to see jolts come down. That's been in a trend. There are other pieces of the economy that are getting impacted by this monetary policy. It's just it's not necessarily what we as a country maybe should be focusing on when we're trying to get inflation under control. We're like attacking inflation from the wrong aspect, if you will, um, with monetary policy instead of fiscal to a degree. And we'll dig into that later. And, but.
0: and the other area of weakness, when you see real rates that high and climbing, you would expect for there to be somewhat of a bid under the dollar. In the third quarter of last year, the, the dollar peaked at 114, I think on a broad-weighted basis, troughed maybe towards 102, I want to say the beginning of this year, you're right? The dollar yep. pretty much collapsed into the first quarter, and there hasn't been a bounce with real rates rising. The dollar continues to be weak, and you're continuously hearing more and more about nations that want to price certain international trade items in, non-dollar, in non-dollars, whether that's uh, remnant B or some other form of currency.
1: If we move on to opportunities.
0: Yeah, let's get cheery.
1: So when we look at some of the opportunities that we're seeing in the markets right now, it's really looking at asset classes that aren't your typical ones. You're starting we're looking in some subsectors if you will. One of those is emerging market debt. Thought process behind that is a lot of the emerging market debt in the emerging markets and those economies are based off of natural resources like they derive their revenue and their economies are essentially benefiting from pulling goods out of the ground or pulling commodities out of the ground. If commodities, like we've been talking about before, are going to have a floor, start to have a floor here, that essentially allows them to pay that debt, make sure that the revenues are sufficient enough to cover the cost of their capital. As such, If we see the dollar, like we just talked about, stay weak or weaken further, given some of the budget issues that we might be running into in the near future or extended future on top of that, debt essentially should be good debt to hold. It's got a very high risk asset. It's a high risk asset to invest in. But generally speaking, given where those budgets are for those economies, going forward, emerging market debt should be something that performs relatively well.
0: And speaking of the natural resource sector, we've been targeting specifically natural gas because the price just got so low that you started to see rig deployment decrease. So it it got to a point where companies producing the resource were unable to profitably produce it and curtail their capital expenditures. And typically when that happens, it's a bottoming process, we don't know if it happens now or a couple of months into the future. But at least on the supply side, there's a real impediments to further production increases. So any positive surprise on the demand side, whether that's continued exports um, via LNG facilities, or a colder winter, either domestically or internationally could provide a real tailwind to natural gas price there are other areas, specifically, when you think about a threat, there have been consumer staple companies that look like they've done really well. You know, their revenues have continued to rise, but revenue is a function of two items, it's price and volume. And despite volumes coming down, the companies enacted price increases in the back half of last year. And that's continuing to feed through the income statement. So you're seeing a real decline in the amount of goods sold, but it's not manifesting itself on the income statement. And the risk there is that if they lose pricing power in the back half of this year with inflation coming down, the income statement as you turn into 2024 starts to look less attractive.
1: And a function of that is because your cost of goods, one, either could rise, right? And you, you can't pass that on to the consumer anymore. Or two, like we just talked about, you've seen wage growth, like from the operating standpoint of the company, they essentially are eating that cost, right? Like, and not able to pass that on to the consumer. So there's that, that inflection point where the consumer just can't continue to spend on those goods, or they, they shift down in what they're buying as far as the quality of the good that they're getting.
0: So, an opportunity then is companies that intentionally underproduce. So, companies that produce scarcer goods. Um, like certain handbag companies where the CEO might say, uh, this is an intentionally scarce asset. In fact, if you go into a store and can buy it, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed. Not only do those companies tend to have pricing power, but then when it comes to the down cycle, they don't have that lack of volume growth because they're intentionally already underproducing. So Exclusivity a lot- factor? Yeah, we'll call them exclusivity brands. Those types of companies should continue to do well.
1: When we look at this budget that we have as a country and we look at where interest rates have gone. Jason and I did some simple math. We kind of look at it a little different from you know each other's point of view, but the way I like to think about it and just trying to keep it as simple as possible. If we look at social security expenditures, we're spending close to a trillion dollars this year on social security. Everyone who's earning social security essentially got about an eight to 9% raise this year. Feels great when it hits the bank account. As far as the country's concerned, it's almost a hundred billion dollars of added cost. Come to where interest rates are and what we're doing from the Treasury's perspective. We are issuing a lot of debt. We've just got through a almost budget ceiling issue. Our interest payment alone is gonna cost about a trillion dollars this year, just as a country. And then put on top of that, Medicare, Medicaid, cost about a trillion dollars a year as well. So there's $3 trillion of expenditures just on those three items. Our country takes in from a revenue standpoint of tax receipts about $3 trillion. They're running a large deficit just on non-discretionary spending. I mean, that's how you phrase it, but just to, for anyone who wants to like think through like what are those items, just those three items alone chew up all the revenue we take in.
0: There's a practical impact, especially to the fixed income market. I mean, when you're running a $2 trillion deficit, you have to issue $2 trillion of treasuries, and that needs to be absorbed by the bond market it seems like they'll be able to issue it and that money will be and and the issuance will be absorbed but you're then taking money that could be directed either to real economic growth or other types of investments and you're effectively crowding those out
1: well half a trillion dollars that was not used for interest payments last year is now simply just going to pay interest like it it's just if you think about it just money being wasted to a degree right like What was easy to issue debt and not really have to worry about an expenditure because interest rates were so low now is a real factor. And I don't think that's really sunk into the markets or people's thought process when they're looking at just overall market structure is the Treasury's got a? there's an issue here where if I'm looking at what's happening, the reverse repo market has absorbed a lot of the issuance that just came out recently of the Treasury in essence, issuing their mo- amount of money they needed to get the general account back in order. So there wasn't really a major impact to the markets from that. But they're going to have to continue to issue that debt going forward. And the reverse repo market might not be there to absorb all of that going forward. And what happens is the big banks, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, what have you, they come in and they, they're buying up those treasuries. And there's a point where they can't buy anymore because they're Capital ratios have to be maintained and now you get to an inflection point and and we're not there yet, but it's in the next 12 months that that might happen where quantitative easing might have to come back online and tightening has to stop.
0: And at the beginning of the year, you and I came on and we talked about the uptick in global central bank balance sheets, right? almost unbeknownst to everybody, the Bank of Japan, the PBOC, the ECB, and the Fed, in aggregate, we started to see their balance sheets rise. And that seemed to be historically a nice backstop for the, from the market from a liquidity perspective. But starting in May, that started to turn down. So not only are we seeing an increase in supply, but a significant buyer of just total global sovereigns is stepping away.
1: Yeah. And when you have that, what's going to end up happening is U.S. investors are going to have to essentially take that brunt of added issuance. And it's going to produce this situation where treasuries are going to be an attractive asset to a degree when you look at just, okay, it's the risk-free asset, quote unquote, but there's going to be an inflation factor that might start come back coming back into the picture. Or it's just a simple debasing of the U.S. dollar where it's like, okay, I could invest and get this return on this treasury, but my dollars when I get it back and try and use it in the economy aren't gonna be worth what they could have been if I'm buying foreign goods.
0: So in other words, when we discussed the, earlier in the episode, the higher real rate at 1.8%, because inflation expectations are so muted, the truth might be that the market is mispricing those inflation expectations, and and therein lies the threat.
1: Yeah, 100%, like, if we continue to run this deficit, and we're using monetary policy to try and curtail the inflation problem, You're, in essence, trying to attack a problem with the wrong solution. It could create this somewhat vicious cycle of reinvigorating inflation on the back half of it all.
0: Let's roll around the room at the end of the show and talk about our headlines. Headline strength. There's an economic reacceleration coupled with fiscal stimulus. Headline weakness.
1: Tighter monetary policy. Headline opportunity. Certain niche asset classes that we discussed. And our headline threat. Choose your own adventure with fiscal policy. Interesting stuff. It's the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. This is episode 59, Monday, July
0: 10th. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Blaine Disrud, research analyst. Thanks. Thank you, Danny.